Alright, welcome to the hive. I have Big Curtis coming to say hello today, sitting in. Yeah. What's up, man? What's up, guys? I'm uh, yeah, I'm just so excited to be here, man, and do this podcast, bro. Um, me and Brian have been trying to get uh, us to do a podcast these past couple weeks. so. Uh, but we've been a little busy. Everybody has. You were out on the West Coast. I was on the West Coast. You, you, you've got your own podcast going on. You've been going to all the different events. You've been a busy man. I know, man. Um, dude, just like... Schedule-wise, I'm trying to get my own podcast out and, like, working at PFL and just going to Vegas for well, vacation. A <laughs> um, little debauchery. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. We need to do that every once in a while. I know. It's um, It's been great, though, man. Um, I've been very busy. I'm excited to get back in here and uh, start training with the Warrior again. I was, uh, I was talking about the program, actually, on my podcast. Nice. Yeah, about, like, you guys and Deanna and uh, Big T. But it's, uh, I, dude, I love that program. You know, Big T's fighting in, I mean, where, where are we at right now? I don't even know what today is. Right I think it's uh, August 16th. Right? Yeah, so we're talking like 20 days from yeah. now. He's going to be back after a year layoff, which is awesome to see him come back. Yeah. But, uh, man, I, I remember the first time... It's like registered in my head who you were was when Carl fought in Virginia. Yeah. When we were going to get on the bus, you were there. Yeah. And then I kept seeing you over and over and over, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then yeah. Carl's like, some dude works to eat clean, bro. Yeah. Like, he's like super fan. Yeah. So uh, how long have you been really following the sport? The crazy thing, man, is that I my first UFC event that I ever watched was UFC 199. And okay. that's like what three years ago so yeah that event man just got me like so hyped just for like fighting and like all combat sports so, like watching bellator watching ufc watching one once i saw like michael bisping knock out luke rockhold i was like holy shit like this sport i've always heard about ufc but i never really watched it but man when i seen that event i was just like holy shit like this is this is amazing man and um i i kind of just like I was like, maybe I can find an MMA gym just to like try and lose some weight. So I uh, I went out and I found an MMA, uh, sorry, I found an MMA gym and I went to go train at Nicotones. I um that's where I met like Corey Anderson, and you know that's the guy I look up to now. Yep. And dude, I was just going to the hotels. I just wanted to meet the fighters, you know, and get like pictures like any other fan would. I became yep. like a super fan, super super fast. Okay. Were you ever super fan about other stuff? Is that how you roll or did this get you differently than other things? No, I was like, I was, I won't lie. I was a big WWE fan. Man. Okay. I was like, I was huge into pro wrestling. I wanted to be a pro wrestler at one time. I trained in pro wrestling, but taking a bump, man, and like hitting my head on the mat, I was kind of like, fuck that. I was done with that. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, people say, you know, pro wrestling is fake. But the contact is real, and the damage is real, and it's crazy for me, because I was a big wrestling fan as a kid, and the thing between real fighting and that for me was, why would I ever intentionally take that kind of damage? Yeah. <laughs> fighting, you know, you, you, you know you're going to take damage, but the object is to take as little and give as much, where those guys, I mean, they know exactly what they're going to do to themselves, and that kind of commitment just was just kind of boggles my mind i mean i don't know if there's enough money out there to pay me to take some of the bumps these guys take yeah it was probably like the most crazy it was one of like the most crazy experience that i've ever tried like doing it you know i'm afraid of heights too so i was kind of bitching like being on the top rope. So yeah like kurt you gotta jump man on the guy and i'm like 
Fuck you, bro. You jump on a man. Like, I'm not doing this, bro. So <laughs> I, I used to train uh, Sumi Sakai. Sumi Sakai was a she was Olympic alternate in judo, and then she became a pro wrestler in Japan. And she was known for doing moonsaults, basically off of anything onto anything. She came from like that crazy circuit where they would do you know barbed wire instead of ropes and all that crazy shit yeah. and she would do moonsaults off the top rope <laughs> and go through like four tables and all this crap and yeah. i was like you're crazy i don't know how you do that the, the way that these people do it and like sometimes it gets botched up i remember like watching as a kid like brock lesnar did it and he like twist like his whole neck when he yep. did like a moonsault and i was just kind of like so you expect me to do that like, <laughs> uh you know i don't know if that's gonna it's gonna happen to you <laughs> So you you went from being a fan of of wrestling and then you run into MMA and what so with wrestling it's all scripted and storylines and it's drama yeah what about MMA that what what captured your attention so hard in MMA it was it was honestly like so before like I said I started watching it at UFC 199 but before I did know Frankie Edgar a little bit so I was like a bit of a fan of him just because he was from like a Jersey guy yeah. and I always support everybody from Jersey. So, seeing, like, Michael Bisping knock out Luke Rockhold, I was like, hmm. Me and my friends always talk about, like, getting into UFC and trying to watch it. So, I, uh, I actually went out to UFC 200 in Las Vegas, the next card, and, um, you know, I saw Frankie fight Aldo, yep. which was, like, exciting. Um, Misha Tate, like, Nunez wrecked Tate, and that was, like, amazing. So... I saw it live for the first time, and it just caught my eye even more. I was just like... Wasn't 200 on the yellow mat? Yeah. That was a weird card. It was, it was like not the mat. best card. Yeah. They Like, 100 was not the best, 200 was not the best. It was kind of weird. Yeah. You know, I remember um, being there, and I was so excited to see John Jones versus DC in that fight. Yeah, but DC versus Silva on that card was the weirdest fight. That's horrible. But it was a weird fight, though. And then Silva actually... You know, he kind of caught DC at one point, which was like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And then DC did his thing, but that was just so crazy. I mean, yeah. 24 hours notice, yeah. just steps in and does that. I'm surprised that he even took that fight. I was like, they have to be paid him, like, good money to take oh, it. Because he yeah. weighed in at, like, 198. I was like... They had to pay him a massive amount of money to yeah. do that. <laughs> I mean... But Silva's in a, he He's different. He comes from the different days, too. Anybody that comes from the, the Valley Tudo days of the sport... They're just built a little bit different. Yeah. They'll take a fight on no notice. How do you think of him right now? Like, I see this last fight with Jarek here, and, um, like, I thought of, like, the whole Chris Weidman thing again with his leg, but... I think as... It's a tough one. Because um, when I look at people in the sport... I mean, I know I, I, I know what, what it's like for a lot of these guys. It's very hard to walk away from it. And when you feel like you can still be competitive, you don't want to walk away... I don't know if le like legacy matters, doesn't matter sometimes. I mean, you look at BJ Penn. I mean, that guy just won't stop fighting, and it's like, yeah, dude, you need to stop. You can't win anymore. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. So I did my last fight when I was 40 years old, yeah. and I really felt the same. When I was 18, mentally, I felt the same way. I I felt young, but when I was doing it, I realized I'm like, no, I really, I am old. Like yeah. I can't do this the way I used to do it anymore, and it's the weirdest thing. Like in the gym, I can spar with anybody and I'm fine. But when it comes down to getting in under the pressure in a short amount of time, under the rounds, you have to get it done. You lose your edge at some point. Yeah. And I think a lot of these guys just have to accept the reality that 
the the ability to win at a high level is past. Yeah. And you know, for the sake of your fans and your family and yourself, you've got to reconcile when it's time to go. I'm not going to say when anybody should go, but when you get into that spot where you know you're winning, you're you're losing way more than you're winning. Yeah. And you've had a really good career. Figure it out and get out and. You know, go make your money somewhere else. I know a lot of these guys with the money side of it is crazy yeah. too because so, they make a lot. They're they're financially successful already. Yeah. But then when you think about it, when you don't have that cash in the bank coming in every couple months from the career, it makes you go whoa whoa whoa. Yeah. Exactly. How am I going to live the rest of my days? Do you think that like it was like mentally going through your head that like hey like I'm 40 years old I need to stop. Or was it kind of just like, hey, my body's giving up on me, I need to stop? For me, it was different. I've talked about this quite a bit. I, was, I had a weird – I have a – my end was a weird one. Uh, I had a lot of neck and back issues because yeah. I fought a lot when I was um, – too much when I was younger. And I'd, um, I had people around me that just basically wore me out. And so my body just kind of broke down. Then I didn't fight, and I was only coaching for a while. And then I was at a wedding with my wife. And I'm looking at all the people around me, and I said, I'm not one of them. Yeah. Like, I still don't – I just don't feel like a normal person. Yeah. I still have this fight in me. Yeah. And I literally texted a promoter who was a friend of mine. I said, hey, man, I, I, I want to do one more. Yeah. He was like, are you serious? I said, yeah. And so I said, I'm, I'm turning 40 in March. Can you get me a fight around that? Like, I'll do my 40th birthday. I do a retirement fight and all one thing. And he was yeah. like, okay, let's go. I turned to my wife, and I was like, you're not going to believe what I just did. She's like, what? I was like, I just <laughs> I just uh, texted Justin. I said, I want to fight. And she was like, okay, good. Could you even drive me fucking crazy not letting go of this? And I was yeah. like, yeah, I just got to – I knew it was over. Yeah. But I had to definitively end it on my terms the way I wanted to. Yeah. Like, I was, I was at that spot. I matured to a place where I was – I'm looking at this sport going, yes, it's passed me by, but I need the experience for myself, and that was that. And I think it's hard. A lot of these guys, they know that it's over, but they don't want to face it. I just faced it. But again, as a coach and having all these young guys around me and being able to do this every day still, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not out of the sport. I just needed to get my participation squared yeah. and I'm a better coach from it I I found much more success from 40 to 45 than any other time in my life yeah. and it's because I stopped pretending to be something and I just realized okay this is my role now I gotta let the other side go back to my youth yeah. let that be take the experience pass it on the other guys and stop pretending that you know you, you, you can do it anymore yeah. and just be who you are you think that like what I was thinking was you think that when somebody retires that they should come out of retirement and keep doing fights? It's kind of like the whole Uriah Faber situation. Like, I remember his last fight against Brad Pickett, and he did look good. You know, he almost finished mm -hmm. Pickett in that first round. That was a very good fight. But then it's like he comes back at the Sacramento card, and he uh, knocks out Ricky Simon in the first round. It was an early stoppage, but in the first round. But now he's like, hey, I want to fight for the belt again. I'm back. Um, I don't think he's back. I don't think he's fighting for the belt again. No. I think he came Again, I think the break did him good. If you look at his body, his body looked totally different. Yeah. He looked better. I think as we age, we need more time to recover. I mean, he I don't know if he's 40 yet, but he's close. If he's, he's not. I think he's 41. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not a young dude. So the time away allows a lot of stuff. I mean, I didn't fight for four years. Yeah. And I didn't really do anything. And a lot of the nagging stuff that made me stop yeah. kind of figured itself out. And I think... You know, Faber was away long enough where he was still active and he was still doing his thing, but he wasn't doing fight camp after fight camp after fight camp. 
and a 40-year-old body. It allowed it to recover, and then, you know, he puts in a good camp, and here we go. I don't think he'd be, he's able to keep that up back-to-back-to-back. He probably has a limited window. He's going to be able to do this, and he probably – we're going to find that as he gets in to a little bit deeper water – his edge will be a little bit lost. It's very hard to keep that edge. Yeah, I know he's um, and I was kind of thinking. I was like, I wonder why he would want to come back because like his gym is very very successful. He's at like he's got Cody Garbrandt. He's got. I don't even want. I don't want to get in trouble, so yeah. I don't want. I don't want to answer I it. <laughs> but I I know the personalities. Yeah. I'm gonna say in general. I'm not gonna talk about anyone individual. Anyone so. specifically on this one, but you get a lot of these guys. When they're fighting, they're the man. Yeah. And then when they stop fighting, they're n- – when you're on top and everybody's covering you and there's a million pictures being taken and your videos are getting all the likes and you, you know, you're getting paid really well and the sponsors love you, the minute you stop, you're not relevant anymore. That's true, yeah. And the checks stop coming in and people stop asking you your opinion and everything changes really dramatically. Yeah. And a lot of these guys can't handle that. And they don't like, so they pretend to be a coach and a fighter at the same time. Yeah. They're pretending. They have guys doing well, but they're really not coaches. They're guys with strong rooms, and they're putting out really good guys, and their guys are doing their thing. But deep down, they still want the spotlight. Yeah. And that's why they come back, because they don't want the young guys to steal their thunder. Yeah. When you got to realize that at some point you have to give away the thunder. Until this is as a coach, there's only one rule. You give away all the credit and you take all the blame. If you don't have the ability to do that, you will never be a big-time coach. You will never have a successful crew of people. You may have a strong room, but that room is doing more than you are because if you're going to constantly point the finger, you're just not going to be able to do it. And the guys that need the spotlight point the finger because they don't want negative attention. See, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I just don't care. I just want my guys to do well. Exactly, yeah. So I'll take all the heat if I have to. I don't give a fuck. I like that mentality. <laughs> but but that's what you have to do. Yeah. That's how you humble yourself in the face of what you have to do. Yeah. Carl yells at me all the time. He says that uh, <laughs> I don't I'm, I'm not I don't push myself enough at times. Yeah. Like there's a lot of coaches out there that talk a lot of shit. There there are yes. They talk a lot of shit about how great they are and how everybody else sucks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't get into this too much. Because for me, I always put myself in a position where I don't, I'm not saying that I'm lacking, but I try and have a beginner's mindset as much as possible because the minute I start to believe my own hype is when I stop paying attention to the small details and I stop putting an importance on progress and that's when we start to fall behind. So for me to keep myself in the space I need to be to constantly push these guys, I have to be a little bit self-deprecating so that I'm always like, okay there's more to this like I can never feel like I got there or at least that's just me so I need a hype man let me do my thing and then I need a hype man yeah. help me out that's what I need <laughs> but no it, it, it's, it's, it's just a weird thing man coaching fighting it, it's, it's, it's just it's crazy. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a big mental thing. No, I, yeah, you know, um, now I'm gonna, go, we're gonna go back to the mental stuff uh, today too, because I want to talk to you guys about like mental health. I, yep. you know, I, I name it on my podcast a lot. But with that, before we get off of the subject, you know, once you retired at 40, what made you want to start like your own gym? I started my own gym in 1998. 1998. This is 21 years. Oh, shit. I started my own gym before I ever really did anything. Yeah. I was, I was training. I had, 
so I grew up in a karate school in Long Branch called Atlanta Karate. Uh, I started doing that when I was six years old. I was like, you know, a karate kid. Yeah. And then I got into Muay Thai when I was in high school, and I was competing in Muay Thai. And then I was, you know, I, I was fighting professionally, doing my thing. And then I ended up going back to my karate school when I was 18 or 19. I ran into my old instructor. She asked me to come by, and it was kind of... Uh, I was it was it was a place for me to train and it was a place for me to teach and um, I always no matter what I do karate always the the discipline the the philosophy the it was it was always been my grounding experience so doing kickboxing doing MMA doing full contact karate still coming back to the traditional roots it was just it was the place I would always go back to for myself um, so. I, I'm doing MMA, I'm doing Muay Thai, I'm doing Judo, I'm doing Jiu Jitsu, I'm doing all these things and I'm teaching karate and I just got to a point where I was like, okay, my instructor doesn't really get what I do and I don't really want to do what they do anymore, so I need to do my own thing. So at 24 years old I went and I got a $10,000 bank loan from my local bank and I found a piece of uh, real estate and I opened up a 1800 square foot place in a building behind a building on a second floor and I started uh, my own place. I, I don't know if anyone was doing mixed fighting prior to that. I mean, I was doing, we were doing uh, full contact karate, kickboxing, judo, and jujitsu. And I had a, at the time we called it a pancreas class because I was being recruited to go fight in Japan in pancreas. Oh, shit. So this is way back. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, it was NHB and it was pancreas and it was Valley Tudo and it was Shuto. Like, there was no MMA yet. So we were doing mixed fighting in Oakhurst, New Jersey, going back as far as 1998. Yeah, I was born that year. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, man. I've been doing it a while. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, um, I went through the years we were trying to all figure out what the hell it was. Um, I actually, in 1998, went to Australia and I fought in a tournament. They called it hard contact karate, but it was basically a Valley Tudo tournament in a gi. Like, we just didn't know what any of it was. There yeah. was no definition yet. Yeah, there's, the, like, no MMA back there. No, I, I think, like... Well, the UFC 1 started, what, was that, like, 96? Yeah. So, it was... The views for that were just, like, so down, man. But the idea of freestyle fighting was there. Like, the Japanese were doing it before the UFC. I mean, there was, there was Valley Judo. There was Pancrase. There was that stuff. The Brazilians are doing free fighting and whatever. But then, all of a sudden, we're starting to see it. Yeah. And then all these weird little hybrid things i mean i remember going to bama fight night in north jersey and you basically made the rules up in the back before the fight it was like okay how do you want to punch with closed <laughs> fist or open fist do you want elbows no elbows do you want knees no knees can you soccer kick can you do this like you basically would agree with the other guy what you were going to do yeah it was crazy it was That's the wild insane, west <laughs> it was the wild west days of the sport yeah you know henzo would literally show up be sitting in the crowd uh, anybody in the know kind of knew who he was, but nobody else really knew who he was. You knew he was a Gracie because voice made the Gracie name so famous, whatever. But his students literally in the crowd, and they would need a fighter, and somebody like, I'll fight him. Like, okay, you got yeah. 20 minutes. You know, borrow a pair of shorts from somebody, hop in the ring, and, you know, go fight. It was crazy. That was the, that was the crazy days. That was the real that crazy days. That seems like it was crazy, man, especially, like, when I kind of think of, like, I don't really know much MMA, especially, like, 21 years ago. Um, you know, me and my brother, we always talk about mixed martial arts now and how, like, I've been trying to build, like, a brand with it and just mm -hmm. trying to, like, help. I always said about my podcast, I don't want, like, big names, a lot of them on there. I'd rather have, like, smaller names and amateurs just to try and, like, help yeah. them rise their name up and just so they can talk about their experience with mixed martial arts. And I'm like, 
I've only been knowing mixed martial arts for three years now. Yep. And I love it, man. I feel like I've known it for ten years now. You're in the explosive time. Yeah. In the last three years, the sport has changed. I mean, it went from being kind of fringe to NFL. Yeah. You know, it's wild. <laughs> and, I mean, the UFC is just – it's an entity all within itself. So you could say MMA and then you say UFC. They're two totally different things. Oh, 100%. The yeah. UFC – competes at MMA, but as an organization and what they do is nobody else is doing anything like that. I mean, you have big organizations worth a lot of money. You have Beltor, you have one and all that kind of stuff. But the UFC is the only thing that is a global, organized, structured thing For like sure, it 100%. is. Yeah. And now they have the PI in China and they're opening one in Mexico City. I heard they're going to do one in Russia. They're going to do one in like Germany or something yeah. like that. And you got the, the one PI, in Vegas. Man. It's yeah. like, it's amazing. I When I was in Vegas, I went to go visit... Um, the PI, where that's when I met Dana White, yep. and it was amazing in there, man. It was a huge facility. <clears throat> Sorry, just the gyms in there, man, and like just the contact they have for like all their fighters and how they take care of their fighters yes. in there. It's yes, insane. The one thing I I've said this before: if you're in the UFC and you have access to what they provide and yep. you don't use it, you're a fool. Yeah. Like Carl and Corey, every fight go out there. Yeah. So if they if they're not taking a short notice fight, if they take a fight and they know they have, once we have more than six weeks, let's say we have eight to nine weeks out, we get picked for a fight. Yeah. We'll make sure that we start the camp by going there and letting them evaluate. Yeah. And then I mean they tell you what your body mass is. They tell you where your cardio's at, where your strength's at. They go over your nutrition. They do everything. They analyze your whole body and then they say, okay, over the next X amount of weeks, this is what you can achieve. We went from with Carl having to sweat out a massive amount of weight in the sauna, in the hot tub, wearing the rubber suit, to now we know that the day before weigh-in, she can put on, you know, basically a sweatsuit. We do a 10-round workout. He's on weight. Yeah. And he's not dead. Yeah. And, he, and he's coming back massive. I mean, he makes 185. Yeah. It's scary how heavy he comes in. I actually, I think I heard a story that Corey said that he used to run like five or ten miles a day to like get the water off or just to like, try and get the weed off carl or Corey? carl okay so this is where the pi comes in yeah so carl fights at 205 on contender because 185 was backed up so yes. they said let's we just said he, he fights at 205 comfortably anyway so let's go to 205 but yeah. we're really a 185 or but what the hell yeah so we fight at 205 and Dana White says, you know, he's really not a 205 body. He's a 185. And we said, okay, we go to the PI, and the PI scans him, and they realize that he has 185 pounds of muscle on his body. Yeah. So they're saying, of course you're dying trying to make 185 because you're just you're you're carrying a massive amount of muscle. Exactly. So they gave him a running program and a diet that would strip the muscle down. So he literally had to run this crazy schedule for his first fight yeah. to pull the muscle down so that he could make weight easier. And now we found the balance where he knows now that as long as his muscle mass stays at a particular point, he's going to make weight. And that's that's what's so amazing about the PI is that if it wasn't for the PI, we never would have realized that he was actually walking around too big. Yeah. And that's why the weight cut was killing Because his last fight in glory, yeah. we thought the weight cut went rather good, but... It was really terrible, but it was good by our standards, and our standards were fucked up because he was cutting from such a huge weight for so long. So it was like he was like dead by weigh-ins, and then 
Yeah, and then in in his second round, in his last glory fight, he was so gassed out, he had nothing left, and got tapped with a punch, and his chin went, and it was just craziness. So, but the PI fixed that for us by putting us on the right schedule. Yeah, first of all, the car, man, I tell you, he's looking better and better each fight, man. Yeah. His, um... I know his. I know he needed to work on his jiu-jitsu a little bit that he was working on, and I know he's with Dante, right? Dante yeah, he works with Dante on the man, jiu-jitsu. Like, his last fight in Sacramento, it was all jiu-jitsu there, man. It was it was amazing. He did really good that fight. Truth be told, we went into that fight with an injury. Yeah. He got hurt rolling jiu-jitsu. In, I think it was the first week in June. Uh, did something to the cartilage, his floating rib. It was one of these ones where we hadn't. We, we hadn't fought for a while. We didn't want to pull out. It was – he was hurt. He, training got pulled back quite a bit. He was having trouble doing a lot of things. And uh, if he got hit on that side mentally, it was hard because his rib was really causing him problems. So yeah. in that fight, first round, he's doing his thing on his feet. The guy threw something to the body. I think he threw a kick to the body. And then Carl was like, oh, shit. And then he went into the wrestling mode. Yes. UFC's pissed at us because we wrestled. Yeah. I'm pissed at him for wrestling because I was like, dude, you could have put this guy away 12 times. Yeah, but he, he would start putting putting on him, and then he would go to the clinch work, and he would and you know put himself in the position where he's getting taken down because he just literally – he didn't want to lose a fight due to a lingering injury. Um, it sucks. So it was, he won, fine, good. I'd rather have this conversation off a win than a loss. Yeah. Reality of it is not the fight. The fight didn't go the way that we really planned on it going, the way we wanted it to go, but again – he proved that he can deal with adversity, fought through an injury, got to play with his jiu-jitsu a little bit. Hopefully his confidence in that regard is a little higher. And, yeah, we I, live, we learn, we move forward. Yeah, I think he's improving, though, still, like, each fight, you know. I love his striking, man. Like, being from, like, Glory and having, like, all that striking background, each fight that he has, his striking improves as well, too. I remember, like, in the Jack Martian fight, his striking was just incredible that yeah. whole fight. I was at a Hooters, like, watching it, and I'm, like, screaming my ass off. And I'm like, damn, man. Carl's striking is fucking amazing. Like Carl's sharp. He's yeah. very sharp. We've been this is eight or nine years we've been doing this together now. It's yeah. it's we've been doing this a while and uh, you know, we, we work on everything together, but uh, from the striking perspective, you know, we really we really got it, him, him tight. So yeah. yeah, Carl's just a phenomenal athlete in general and his striking is just super sharp. I, I hear this all the time, people say you know, the jiu-jitsu guys will say, oh, you know, X amount of percent of fights go to the ground. But my attitude has always been and will always be 100% of the fights start on their feet. So yeah, exactly. if you don't have good striking, you know, you're putting yourself in a, in a deficit. So for me, I would rather see strong striking first and then good wrestling and then good jiu-jitsu because that's how fights unfold. It doesn't start on the ground. You don't start fights on your knees. You start on your feet. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, each fight that I see in the striking is just improving life. It's, it's pretty surreal. Like I said, in the Jack Martian fight, when I was watching it, man, I was just like, dude, he's just piecing this guy up. Yeah. Like, each way, man. Like, each round, he was piecing him up. Yep. And I remember, like, listening to Joe Rogan talk about it as well. And he's just like, man, like, Carl, like, that guy, he's something else, man. He's going to yeah. be something special, too, yeah. for sure. I believe he will be champion one day. Carl has serious championship potential. Uh, I don't say that about everybody. There's a lot of guys that, you, you know, Carl's one of these ones – you don't in a career as a coach. You don't get. I mean, you may get one guy like Carl. You don't really get many opportunities like this to work with somebody that has these gifts. So, you know, that's why with, with Carl and I, we really understand what we've got here, mm-hmm. and 
we're, we're very serious about the steps we take to, you know, have progress. I, I mean, the reality of it is I, I literally was flying to Sacramento and it dawned on me. I was like, holy shit, this is our fifth fight in the UFC. Yeah. I was like, wow, we're yeah. five fights deep. We're two contracts in. Yeah. That reality hit me and it was like, whoa, yeah. he's actually not a beginner at this anymore. Not at all. Like, we're deep. Yeah. Like, you know I, to be honest, I love that, like, right after he fights, he's always just like, well, who's next? Like, I'm yeah. ready to go again. Well, we train already. We started doing two-a-days this week. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because he just doesn't – he just gets restless. Yeah. The storm fucked us up this week, and he had no power at home, so I think he got bored, and that's why he came in. And <laughs> he has no reason to train. Yeah. But he immediately – we – so Carl fought that Saturday, then Stephen fought at Contender Series on Tuesday. So Carl and I hung out in Vegas a lot, yes. and we're just kind of rehashing – the, the fight and training and different things and you know we were already game planning what we want to do for training when we came back we were like i because i said look uh, i'm seeing what's going on i want to work on this i want to schedule differently i want to structure differently i want to think about things a little bit differently and he was like yep and this is what i want to do and i was like okay i'm on the same page and we figured it out and literally we got back to work this week and we started already doing some different things so that's the one thing with carl is that every fight he's very different yes. it's never the same carl and uh, a lot of that is, I mean, I'm giving away coaching, but whatever, I don't give a shit. You can try and do what I do, it's fine. Um, but the way I look at it, so when, when I when I look at a fight, yeah. when we when we pick an opponent, I watch the so I watch an opponent as if I'm his coach, and I'm saying, okay, this is what I would need to tweak based off what I'm watching. I'll say, okay, this is what I need to work on to beat the Carl that I have footage on. Yes. So I watch Carl's fight as the other coach. Then I watch his opponent's fights as the opponent's coach. And I say, okay, if I'm smart, this is what I'm going to do. And then I look for the patterns in Carl. And then I reverse it. And then I look at the other guy as Carl's coach and say, this is what I have to do to beat the guy that I'm seeing right now. This is where I think he should be going, so i got to be prepared for that. And then I look at Carl and I say, okay, this is what we're doing good. This is what's not going so good. These are the tweaks we have to make. So I try and look at it from different perspectives. And that way I get a, a more of a well-rounded view of what's going on. Because you've got to fight to beat who you were every day. Like, so on Tuesday, we've got to kill who we were on Monday. Exactly, yeah. You know, I was looking at, like, your roster with some of the people you train, man. You got some killers here, man. I, I, yeah. You got D. Quietly, yeah, quietly, yeah, quietly. Yeah. You got some killers, but I know um, I'm so excited for Phil. Yes. His uh, contender series fight. I know he's doing contender series, right? Yep, he's contender August twentieth. August twentieth. Yep. That's a fight that I'm excited to see, man. I think um, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked when they see him in there. I think it's like his coming out party when he does his contender series. I hope so. Um, you know, what contender is a is a weird one. Uh, I mean, we saw a Ramazan fight the other day. Yeah. Ramazan's a savage. Yeah. And he struggled. He did. Yeah. He did good. He did good, but. I'm telling you, fighting in that 25-foot octagon with, like, no people there. They don't call out your name. There's no music. It's this bare-bones, crazy experience. It challenges you as a, as a person. It's not just a fight. No. It, you really have to – if you have any demons, man, they're going to they're gonna pop up and get you when you go out there. Uh, you've got to be prepared. Carl and I were talking about this the other day, too. I don't know why I keep talking about all the shit Carl and I are talking about. He's not even here. <laughs> I should bring him on and talk about this yeah. shit. But one thing we're, we, we both agree on is that you can't kill the beast 
we all have our demons. Exactly. As a fighter, you can't afford to lose your demons because your demons, that's your edge. Yeah. That's your energy. That's that's the fuck you you need out there. So you have to learn to ride the beast. And you don't have to kill the beast because yeah. I've seen guys that found peace in life and killed the demon and they lose their edge and they just can't do this sport anymore. Yeah. You have to embrace that dark side and you gotta it's gotta be like a light switch you gotta control it enough so you know you can switch it on on fight day and you can switch it off when you leave you have to be comfortable with the demon but you still have to be in touch with it and if the demon's not under control a contender series kind of fight could cause some uh chaos in your in in in, in you so phil is the kind of guy that thrives under pressure when phil fought his last fight he fought um oh god who the hell did he fight um John Sweeney. He fought Sweeney at Rand Combat. Yes. Lost that kid's name for a minute. I've been here since 5.45 this morning, and it's 11.15. <laughs> yeah. I didn't sleep a while last night, so my brain's a little off. Uh, but he, when he fought Sweeney, this is how that fight went. The first two rounds, he was afraid of Sweeney. And I don't say this in a negative way. Don't take it like I'm saying he's a pussy. Yeah. Like, that fight, like he, was a, like, he couldn't figure out what Sweeney was doing, and it was causing him to get, he was like, shit, I'm struggling here. But then going into the third round, what switched, when he came back at the end of the second, you could see he was no longer worried about Sweeney. He was worried about losing. The reality of he might lose this fight just popped into his head. He was like, oh, shit, I just lost two rounds. i got to put this kid away. I do not want to lose. And Sweeney was no longer his opponent. It was the reality of you can win or lose this fight based off the next decision you make. And he made the right decision. And you could ask anybody, ask Dante, ask Phil, ask anybody. I said to I I said to him, I said, you put two to three punches together and you follow with a kick, you'll put this kid away. No shit, he got off the stool, threw two to three punches, threw a kick, knocked the kid the fuck out. And I was like, I don't know what just happened. I called it. I don't know how I just did that. But it was one of those like moments where everything just kind of came together, where Phil's head just went to the right space. I saw what needed to be seen. Dante even, like, he backed me on the call. Dante was like, do what he just said. That is what you need to do. Like, we were all in agreement, and we fired on all cylinders. He got the win, and it's what led him to getting the shot at Contender. So it was one of those career life-changing moments. And now, you know, Contender is that point where if he capitalizes on that momentum, where he's making the right decisions, he's having the ability to overcome whatever's coming in front of him, he should go out there. And, yeah, he should have his coming out party where he should be able to, you know, as he said in his interview in Vegas, he wants to knock this guy's head off and put it in Dana White's lap. He has the opportunity to do it. He has the skills to do it. I, I think he has the mindset to do it. If he can keep his shit together and put it all together, you got it. Yeah. You know. I can't wait for it, man. I remember um, I was looking at your story while you guys were in Vegas, and he yep. was just like, you know, this, this contender series, man, this is going to be my house now. Yep. And I 100% believe it. Like I said, I think it's going to be his coming out party. I'm uh, I'm excited for him, too, that uh, he signed with Dominance in May. And he's got Ali Abdelaziz as his manager now, who's a great manager. So just having those two together, too, yeah. I know they're going to have solid fights for him. And uh, he's, he's, I'm telling you guys, man, he's going to be at the top. I'm telling you. Phil has all the potential in the world, you know. Um, I'm, I'm the, He gets mad at me. Yeah. Everybody gets mad at me. <laughs> but uh, he gets mad at me in particular because Phil really – believes he's going to be this massive superstar and i think that's fantastic that he wants to um i always i'm i'm just a pain in the ass because i always try and ground people with a little bit having the audacity to dare to have those aspirations is everything uh 
I always just try and ground them in the humility of the sport because Sean Teed is a prime example yes. of someone that had all the potential. He has all the potential. Yeah. He did everything he possibly could to get ready for his contender fight, and he ended up in the hospital and on the sideline for a year after yeah. getting run over by Juan Adams. Yeah. You can prepare to the best of your ability, and this sport can still smack your front teeth out. Like yeah. This is a very difficult business, and the only pitfall... I'll see guys make sometimes is is that they hype themselves so hard that if they don't find success, it's very difficult for them to face what just happened and continue moving forward because you know the more you talk, the more pressure you put on yourself, and you have to be prepared to back that talk up or if it falls short, to be humble enough to say, okay, I fell short. I'm still going to do it. I didn't do it this time. Yeah. Stephen Regman just lost. Yes. So. We were in the back. He's pissed. They call us to go to the van because we wanted to get the fuck out. And I just said, hold on a second. Come here. And I pulled him into the side room. And it's the truth. I said to him, I said, Stephen, this fight doesn't define you. Your next step does. So it doesn't matter what just happened. It matters what are you going to do because of it. Sean Teed could be known as the guy that got run over by Juan Adams. Yeah. But no, he's the guy that got run over by Juan Adams got shoulder surgery, came back a different person, and is walking into his next fight, a Sean Teed I've never seen before. Yes. I've never seen what's going on right now. Mentally, physically, yeah. technically, like there's something different. So he learned, he's moving forward, he's better for it. Steven has that opportunity. Deanna got fucked in her last fight, straight up. Straight so fucked. Straight fucked. Yeah. Everybody there knew it. Exactly. Lost the title shot over it. It's complete bullshit. Yeah. I thought I was going to get kicked out of my hotel <sighs> that night. I was like in a hotel watching it. I was just screaming. I was cursing. And I was so pissed off about it. And I was like, hey, I forgot I'm in this hotel room in Orlando. I hope these guys took me the fuck out. Because that was such a robbery, though. But, but she could have, you know, gone off the rails. But she took a break. I'm for, I made her. I said, you need to take a break. She hasn't sparred. She sparred yesterday for the first time since that fight. That's the longest she's gone without sparring probably in her life. Yeah. But she came back yesterday and had an, a really, really good day sparring. She was doing some really, really good things and her mental game is dead on point and she's got an opportunity coming her way that we'll talk about at another time. But she's completely prepared for it because that loss invigorated her to the point where She's like, I really understand who I am. I understand what I'm doing. I'm comfortable where, where it's at. I'm really pissed off at what happened, but you know, I'm not going to change the course. I'm just going to keep driving forward and I'm going to get what's mine. So mentally, she's stronger from the experience. You know, Her record and her pay is bullshit and it sucks. Yeah. But again, that's adversity. And that's, that's why you threw out Wimp to Warrior. So for me, yes. the value of what I do and the value of this sport as a spectator, as a participant, yeah. are these stories. It's not the 15 minutes you see somebody in the octagon. Yes. It's the struggle of preparing to get in there. It's the battle you go through internally in there. And then how you respond to the outcome, win or loss. Yes. That message, that playbook can be applied to anything and it can get you anywhere and it can get you through anything. Because I have a fitness program that I call it the Fight Club. I call it Fit the Fight Club. And people are like, what, are we going to beat each other up? I said, no. I said, everybody's battling something. Yes. You're just going to use fitness to fight this battle. Yeah. And we're going to fight this battle together, and that's why it's a club. So we're all fighting together. 
to achieve our individual goals, but we're going to do this shit together. Yeah. You know, I talked about Wimp to Warrior a little bit on my podcast. It's about, you know, you guys coaching it. But, you know, I go through some mental issues myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always talk about, like, May is Mental Health Month. So I brought it out in my podcast that, you know, I suffer from anxiety and depression. So, you know, going through all that stuff, man, and kind of just, like, not being able to get, like, out of your room and just, yep. like, not being able to talk to people, like... Dude, when I tell you last year, I was the happiest kid ever. Like, I've always talked to everybody. I have a great personality. But just, like, not treating your depression and anxiety and going, like, treating what's in your head and all that mental shit, it kind of fucks you up, man. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Um, so when you say you were happy, were you really, like, happy or were you fronting it? It was more of, like, I would be happy. I always tell my friends. I'm like, you never know what happens in the dark. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I tell my friends all the time. See, I would come out and look happy and believe that I'm happy, but or you were telling yourself you were happy. I, I was telling myself, I was and you happy. weren't because you were ignoring happy. reality. Hundred percent. That's hundred and ten percent. So um, when I when I checked out Winter Warrior with you guys, I was talking to my friends and they were just like, "You got to get back to training, Kurt." Yeah, man. That's the only thing that's gonna get you out of this shit. You know, I can go and talk to a therapist and go take medicine and do this other shit. But that wasn't – it really wasn't working for me. I don't like to talk to therapists and tell them about, like, my whole life. I need to get in there and hit some pads, man, or hit some bag work. So – It's all about momentum. Exactly. Because once you get going, everything changes. Exactly. It's it's the day you don't want to go to the gym and you don't, that you feel like shit all day, and then it gets negative, and then you get mad at yourself for not going. 100%. But when you do go, it sucks to get started, but once you get going, you – everything changes and by the time you leave you're like man that's the best decision i've made in a long time it's all about that momentum it's all about getting moving and that's why i when it comes to the mental health side of it too if you sit around and think about your mental health you fuck it up more than anything because you go into the dark place and most of the time we don't have the skills to deal with the shit that's coming up yeah so when you don't have the skills to deal with it all you do is dig a deeper hole. Exactly. You have to give yourself a sense of strength so you can face your demons and you can face your doubts and you can face your anxiety and you can deal with your depression. You need strength. Yeah. I always tell like what I, what I say is like – I always tell people, man, like, bro, you're, you're going to hurt yourself, man, if you just ignore it. Yep. I always thought that like mental health was bullshit to be honest. I was like, I'm not depressed. I'm not, I don't have anxiety. This is all bullshit to me. Yeah, but that's, but that's what we're – I'm not going to – okay, we're not bred to believe that it's bullshit, yeah. but we're bred to believe it's different. And we're also bred to – the biggest – so I hate that – I hate to talk – I don't like to talk about the universe kind of thing. Yeah. Because I think the universe is a big, cruel, mean motherfucker, <laughs> and it's not going to conform to anything you want yes. because that's just the reality. Like there's that stoic phrase – I'm paraphrasing it – that you can't stop the wave. You know, what you're just because you want the wave to stop doesn't mean the wave's going to stop. Exactly. You can't stop the wave. You can choose to ride it or you can choose to drown. Yeah. So the way things are are the way things are, and you can't manifest it. You can't happy thought it. And a lot of times, too, the happy thought thing is you really don't feel happy and you're faking it. So you're not dealing with the fundamental reasons why you're not happy. Yeah. So if you put it again, fighting, you can. You can put anything in a fighting concept. So if you're fighting and it's not working, you can blame the coach. You can blame your opponent. You can blame the size of the ring. You can blame your gloves. You can blame the fucking news and the weather. You can blame anything you want. But the reality of it is is you're not effectively doing what needs to be done for the opponent and the situation you're in. Exactly. 
Exactly. And if you want to continue to ignore that, you will never overcome it. Yeah. And that's when, again, so if you want to force and fake happy, yeah. you're ignoring the fundamental reasons why you're in the state you're in. Yeah. If you're unhappy, allow yourself to be unhappy, but figure out why. Yeah, that was a that was a hundred percent me, man. Exactly what you just said. You know, I was I was more of like faking that I was happy. Um, I actually just had a friend that died of cancer for six years, and um, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, you know, the kid was only nineteen. I had to go to his oh funeral. my god. So just like being there with like my class of twenty seventeen high school meets, I couldn't really talk to anybody. It was more because like the anxiety, and like I went to like the Fourth of July carnival, and I couldn't talk to anybody, and yeah. I talked to everyone, man, everyone. But you couldn't do it, man. It was like more of everything that's going in my head. And I, uh, I had a conversation with Corey Anderson about it. And I'm just yeah. like, you know, man, I, I honestly, I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing right now. I don't know what I'm doing. He's just like, you just got to get back in the gym, man. That's, that's the main a, thing. You need, you need to do something that's going to push you past the bullshit yeah. and make you face yourself. I have a book. I have a notebook. I carry it everywhere with me. Yeah. I call it my Demon of Doubt book because like the minute my brain starts looking at things in a paranoid or conspiratorial way I start I just pull the book out and I just literally start writing until I get to the source of that thing that triggered the weirdness yeah. and once I acknowledge it and I know it it doesn't bother me anymore I mean I didn't I don't know what people's opinion of me or whatever, but I've had a lot of people tell me a lot of things over the years in terms of like, oh, you're the most positive person I know when I was in the darkest points of my life. Exactly. And then I got to a point where it's like, I have to stop faking being this, you know, like I was playing a part yeah. instead of being authentic or real. And then I just said, you know what, I got to figure this out. So if I'm going to be this positive leadership position, I actually want to be a positive leadership position. Yeah. And so I, I, I gave myself permission to actually be what I was and what I am. And I work myself through these things. So I, I understand why I'm in the position that I'm in at any given time. And I allow myself to be upset. And I allow myself to be the cranky old fuck I can be at times. Yeah. And I allow myself to be happy when I'm happy and unhappy when I'm not. And like... You got to allow yourself to be a human being. There's nothing wrong with being upset. There's nothing wrong with having anxiety. There's nothing wrong with being nervous. There's nothing wrong with being afraid. The only thing that's wrong is stopping yourself from taking positive action due to all those things I just said. 110%. I tell people too, like, if you ignore this shit, man, it's just going to keep haunting you. That's or you it. use it as an excuse. 100%. Then you're going to end up in the worst fucking place possible with no one positive around you and it's going to be that much harder. Exactly. I tell people, I'm like, man, even if you like a sport, even if you like to fucking read, man, I don't, I, like, whatever you like to do, yeah. you got, you got to just get, you got to get yourself out of that place. Yep. 110%. Like, that's, that's the only thing that's going to change. Like I said, my friends know that I love to do mixed martial arts. I love to train. So they were just like, you know what you got to fucking do, man. You got to stop. You got to just go and do it. You got to get yourself out of this mental yeah. place, man. You got to get your ass in there and just start training, man. That's 100%. How I was. They kept their room with me, man. And I was just like. I don't like to admit that I'm wrong, to be honest, but I was like... Who does? Exactly. I was like, does. you guys are fucking right, man. 100%. Well, they know you. The people that care about you are going to tell you the right thing. The people that don't care about you are going to, you know, they're going to look for a pity party with you. I had, a, I had a student about two years ago. She was going on Facebook and basically saying, you know, this sucks and that sucks. And she was looking for people to agree with her. Yeah. And I called her up. I said, hey, I need you to come to the gym. And she came to the gym and I was like, yo, you need to stop this pity party bullshit. <laughs> and you've got to, you've got to, you you got to suck it up, yeah. and you got to deal, because you're just looking for people to wallow in misery with. And she was 
like taken aback that I was so direct. Yeah. And I said to her, I said, look, I, I care about you as a member of this gym. Yeah. And I've known you a while and I don't want to see you go down a negative path. I'm saying this with the best intentions. I'm giving you these really hard words yeah. with good intention. Yeah. So you can hate me for it and go back to the pity or you could stop going on fucking Facebook and posting this shit yes. and come to class tomorrow. Yeah. You know, what I do too is that even like some days where I can't even make it into the gym, I remember we were doing like sit-ups and push-ups on the Winter to Warrior program. That's what I do every morning as soon as mm -hmm. I wake up. I'll go for a run as well. I have a big – I have a huge fucking track in, the, in my backyard. So I go for a run and it's just like I, I have to do some type of exercise every day just to get myself like out of that place. You know? Yeah. Get moving. Yeah. So um, like I said, I – uh. I appreciated Corey Anderson, his talk with it, and like, um, like my friends talking to me, man, because like, dude, I was going down a shitty path, man. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, I've never felt like this like years ago, but then like, I guess ignoring it and you know, just not taking care of it, like fucked everything well, up. Well, the crazy part about the human condition is, is that we know everything, yes, but we don't look at it all the time, and if we ignore it. Echoes up in weird ways. Exactly. It forces us to do things that put us in a position where we have to face it. I mean, some people drink too much. Some people, you just become self-abusive in some way that's going to bring attention to it. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're, you 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 uh, you know, it forces you to kill certain aspects of yourself that you don't want to lose, and then you have to face it and pull it back, or you know, you just continue to go down the rabbit hole. But eventually, you hit that spot where you're like, okay, I'm done. But it's, your, it's you yelling at you the whole time. Exactly. That's what I was always saying. I was like, you know, the more of what's fucking me up is probably my own thoughts. And I thought I was acting out as well. Like, I'd go to mm -hmm. parties and I'd drink, I'd drink and drive. And I'm like... You're just yelling at yourself saying, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, you're trying to get in trouble, so you have to make a change. Exactly. Because when like, you're not making changes, you put yourself in positions that force you to change. Exactly. I was talking to Cora, I was like, man, I should let you punch me in my face doing all this <laughs> stupid shit. Like, this is insane. But this isn't me. Like, just uh, just getting out of that place, man, I feel so much better, man. Like, just working out every day and, like, like I said, trying to get back into the Win to Warrior program, which is, um, I talk about that on my podcast as well, which is a great program that everybody should check out. I don't care if, like, if you haven't fought or you don't have any experience in MMA. It's, it's just, it's a great program just to test yourself, man, and, like, the one that we have in Jersey and Oakhurst, man, with, with you, with you and Sean T and Deanna Bennett, it's just it's a great program, man. You guys taught me a lot in such a short period as well. I've never done jujitsu like in my entire fucking life. At well, we all. break it all down every I week. Know. We go over a little bit of everything, which makes it cool and it makes it not stagnant. Exactly. One of the things uh, here's some of the sticking points I run into when I'm dealing with people that show interest. Yes. One is uh, New Jersey and New York people don't like the word wimp, which is funny. You need to get over yourself. <laughs> and then, but the one. This was a huge one, was that I run into a lot of people that the fact that you have the option to fight at the end, yeah. a lot of people are walking around with an idea of who they are, Yes. and they don't want to be exposed as something different Yes. in front of a group of people like yeah. that, and that's a big issue. Yeah. And, I, and for me, that's the greatest value of the program. Yeah. Is that you have to humble yourself to whatever the outcome is going to be. Exactly. And then again, based upon that outcome, your next steps. What are you going to do? 
I, I, I know Wimpy Warrior on a global scale, a lot of people do the program three and four times. I know people that win and say, you know what, I want to win better. And I know people that have lost and are like, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. You know, other people have lost and said, I need to do it again. And yes. some people said, it just let me know where I'm at. And some people said, I don't give a fuck, win or lose. I'm just happy that I was able to get in there and yeah. face my fears and do this damn thing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's literally, it's just, it's an all encompassing kind of thing where you have to commit to getting up early and pushing yourself and learning a skill. And then you're one of the greatest fears of, I think, so humans, we are combative animals. We've been fighting since the beginning of humanity, but society tries to tame a lot of that in us, but we fight in so many ways in our life and to physically get into an altercation with another person in a positive environment grounds you back to a level of humanity that most people miss. I think fighting is an important thing. I think everybody should have to knuckle up with somebody at some point. People call me crazy, but I, but I mean, Pat Militich said it back in the day, fighting solves everything. I think you should just learn how to like, just defend yourself. Like you can have, like I see like all these people on like Facebook and like, they're talking about their kids are getting bullied and everything, which is, you know, it's, it's shameful, you know, it's sad, but like, like man if you put your kid into like an mma gym like you can kick some ass too man um and the way you guys do it at like the one to warrior program like i was saying like you guys break down like you said too you guys break down everything it's like boxing one day jujitsu one day wrestling one day strength and conditioning one oh, day. and you're not, and we're not faking it you're exactly. actually dealing with high level athletes exactly. and world-class coaches um not to pat myself on the back but you're not going to a school <laughs> that's pretending to do this yes it's not a marketing gimmick yeah. this is I'm, the, the only other gyms doing this, yeah. you have AKA, yeah. you have Duke Rufus, yes. you have um, SBG Montana, yeah. SBG Idaho, TriStar, yeah. and then Kavanaugh's gym, yeah. Kavanaugh's SBG in Ireland with yes. Conor McGregor. Yep. Uh, and then in Australia, there's a bunch of gyms doing it that are all tied into high-level coaches and athletes. Yeah. Uh, Long Island MMA. You've got Weidman's group. Gym, yeah. And... Um, City boxing in New Zealand just started doing it, which is Adesanya's gym. Yeah. So the only gyms allowed to do this have high level coaching that are putting out high level athletes. So it's not, they're not selling it to the local, you know, martial arts guy who's trying to, you know, do happy match chats and bullshit. We're, we're providing, it's truly fantasy camp. You are getting elite top 10 level training for anyone who wants to do yeah. it. I think it's awesome if you want to learn how to train. Like, I'm a big guy, so I was like, you think I'm going to be getting my ass down here rolling and doing jiu-jitsu? You're crazy as hell. Dude, Sean T taught us how to do triangle chokes. and He's 300 pounds. I know, and I'm putting my brother in triangle chokes every day when I get home. <laughs> I love it, man. I like. I always thought, I was like, dude, I'm not going to like this jiu-jitsu shit. I come to him to Warrior and I do jiu-jitsu, and dude, like I said, I'm a huge guy, and I love it, man. I love it. When you... When you allow yourself to see all the different ranges that MMA provides, the one thing is that, so you open up one door and it just leads to another and another and another and another. It's a never-ending progression. I mean, even if you look at UFC, 10 years ago, they said, oh, this is how MMA is done. And then 10 years before that, it w- they said it was done this way. And 10 years before that, it was done this way. Like From the beginning, they said, oh, you do a little jiu-jitsu, a little boxing, a little wrestling. And then it was, oh, a little a little Muay Thai and this. And then, I mean, in the beginning, it was you were a striker or a grappler or a freestyle fighter or whatever. Now, 
everything we think it is evolves. I mean, God, everyone said, oh, you can't spin. And then guys started knocking people out of spinning kicks. Yeah. People said you can't jump, and then people are jumping into things. And people said you can't do this, and you can't do that. And, like, everything they said you can't do is end up being done. I mean, Pettis showed us that you don't need to keep your feet on the mat. You can push off the push off the fence. Yeah, dude, he jumped off the fence good. and threw a kick. Yeah. He didn't do a punch. He did a kick. Yeah. You know, smashed Henderson with yeah. it. Uh, crazy. Like, every rule has been broken. Every established rule is busted and that's what's the beauty of it is that we really don't know how far we can push human performance yet yeah. i love like how you said i love how the game's changing and i remember like when um when women couldn't even do mixed martial arts and it's like nobody wants to see women fight yeah and now you have nunez and everybody loves she her. scares me and i'm yeah. a big guy and like these girls are like some of these girls are even better than the boys. I won't lie, man. Like they kick ass, like Amanda Nunes yep. and uh, Chris Cyborg, and you, I mean, you have to say you have to say at least thanks to Ronda Rousey what she did for the uh, yeah. mixed martial arts when she was here. Just because the sport passed her a bit yeah. doesn't mean that she was not one of the best ever. Of I mean, course. she's a game changer. <laughs> she she's one of the reasons why the UFC as a whole is where it's at because of her popularity and the things she was able to achieve. I mean, Conor McGregor, same thing. Yes. So one thing I I, I, um, I talk about with guys, I get guys that are like, you know, I don't know why this guy doesn't get a push or that guy get a push. And one thing when you look at the sport, and you do have to look at the, the economics of it, Conor McGregor is so – he's lucky. And the only regard I would say he's lucky is that he comes from Ireland. Yeah. Is because when he fights, he brings the whole country with him. He does. So when you bring a country with you, the, the, the marketing power you have and the money-making opportunity you have, it's not like he's bringing – you know, Oakhurst, New Jersey. He's bringing yeah. a fucking country. <laughs> He's bringing television stations, yeah. government support, millions of people, and then all the fucking Irish people around the globe. I mean, he shuts Boston down when he shows up. They're insane. I went to um, I went to the press conference when he fought Eddie Alvarez, man. And insane. I'm like, I know. I was like, man, everybody's gonna be rooting for Eddie. I don't know what the hell Connor's thinking, dude. I got there and they were booing Eddie, who's from Philadelphia. Yep. Irish people. For Connor. Irish yeah. people flew in from all over the world, and every Irish person in Philly showed up. Yes, it was like, it's crazy. I was like, this is a, <laughs> it was insane. Yeah, I mean that's the thing people don't understand. Like in the United States, we don't we don't have we're fighting in our own country. We have so many athletes representing our country. The, the idea of national pride to that level is something that's foreign to a lot of Americans and you don't realize when a guy like Connor shows up like he brings every fucking Irishman with him I mean it's crazy and the Brazilians are fanatical too yes. every time a Brazilian guy fights you know yeah. thousands of Brazilians fly into town for the damn fight because they have I think football does it a lot too I think because of the soccer like yeah. they have like that national pride differently and they support sports a little bit differently yes it, 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 where in the US it's more I think economic based where everything else the big sports are more national because like in brazil they follow the brazilian national team yeah you know it's different so i love how it's i love how it's just so diverse too man especially like the ufc like you got nunez from brazil you know you got like u.s champs adesanya's what uh australia right he's the um, interim champ adesanya so adesanya yeah is well he's from Africa, training yeah. out in New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Whitaker's Australian. Yes. You know, um, you got. Like, you got look Habib at, in Russia. Yep. Like Russia. You have, you have all these different nationalities. You have all these different colors. You have that's the thing again I love about training and fighting, is that black, white, brown, yellow. None of it matters once you start training. Exactly. Nothing yeah. matters. 
nothing matters. Exactly. Can you knock them out or not? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Can you finish them or not finish them? That's what matters. Yeah. I mean, I have, I've had every combination you could possibly think of. To even I had a transgender student at one point. Oh, We've had everything. And in the beginning, like if you're sitting on the bench talking, you probably would have some arguments. Yes. But the minute training starts, everybody's cool. Yeah. Because we need each other. <laughs> doesn't matter. Christian, Muslim, Jew, atheist, agnostic, doesn't matter. Religion yeah. doesn't matter. Sexual orientation, nothing matters. It just matters that the training gets done, the fights get won, and all that stuff. It, it just it burns all the bullshit away. That's, why, that's one of the main reasons why I've always... You know, love this sport because uh, it just it just blows away borders because it comes down to performance. And it's just building, man. It's building and building and building and building and building, man. It's like it's almost huge now. You know, it's like like you said, it was kind of like it was almost like the XFL, and now it's like yeah. the NFL. You yeah. Know? It's, it's, it's just it's just keep building. I know the ESPN like, deal really changed the yeah, everything. Oh my god, Dude, changed everything. Even what they do with uh, with the PFL that I got when I yeah. covered last night, it was just it was amazing. What know? do you think of the PFL? So, I, I I do like it, man. I don't know about fighting like twice in one night, like in championships. Cause, you know, I mean, what if you do get injured, you know, and you got to back out, and it's like, hey, like, I worked my ass off to fight in the whole regular season and in the playoffs, and now I got injured. I, I'm a K1 guy, so yeah. I understand tournaments. Yeah. Uh, I like tournaments. One thing people don't uh, don't know a lot is, in the United States, you can't fight more than five rounds in one day. Wow. That's why there's the weird structure. I didn't know. So that's why they do the rules the way they do them. Yeah. You can't fight more than five rounds. Huh. Yeah. So, but kickboxing's different. Kickboxing is three minute rounds. It's, I don't think it's five rounds. It's fifteen minutes. Yeah. Or, or um, I'm sorry, it's twenty five minutes. Yes. So you can do three three minute round fights. Yeah. And it falls within the time structure. Yes. But the five minute rounds put it where you can only do the five rounds. Yeah. So they have to break that up in the tournament. So it's like a one round fight, and a, then a, another one round fight, and then you know a three round fight or whatever the hell, however they break it up. But yeah, they break it up the way they do because you legally can only do it a certain a particular way. Uh, PFL is interesting. Uh, talent's weird. Yeah. Uh, be on, we got to be honest about it. There's some killers in it, yeah. but it's few and far between. It's yeah. not loaded with killers. Yeah. Um, it's got talent. I think the, the the money and the pressure and the way they do it is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I don't think American, I don't think the American audience, which is the bulk of where money comes from, yeah, understands really. the format. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a great, it's a great program. I, I like how they get to win a million dollars every year. Yeah. But there are some things I don't like that like their fighters don't make weight a lot, which yep. I think they should like fucks everything up. Control. I remember um, I was there. Jeremy Kennedy, his opponent last season, missed weight by ten pounds. I don't know how this happens. Yes. I don't know how you're not monitoring the situation. But more importantly, how the fuck are you that unprofessional? Yeah. How the fuck are you that unprofessional? Yeah. Honestly, uh, women's different game. Like women, their time of the month hits. Their bodies go haywire. Of women, women missing in a three to four pound window. I understand. Yeah. Ten pounds. We were in an Invicta. Yeah. This one, a woman flew in from Australia to fight a woman who flew in from somewhere in Asia and the Asian woman was 10 pounds over and the fight got canceled and the Australian was like we both flew here like two days yeah. and you knew you weren't making weight yeah. like you couldn't even try like are you fucking kidding me yeah. and I was like god this is ridiculous like how how do you ethically hop on that plane knowing that you're not even going to come close yeah. 
And I remember talking to Jeremy Kennedy, and I was like, did you have any idea that he wasn't going to make weight? And he goes, he was looking on the sheet to see, like, if they had checked his weight, and they weren't checking his weight at the time. And that was the question I asked. I was like, you know, changing that opponent in 24 hours, he got knocked out in the first round that yeah. next night. It, it sucks. It was like, he went in for a full camp to fight yep. this one person. And then a guy is un- a guy is unprofessional, misses weight by 10 pounds. Yep. And, you know, his opponent changes in one day. That's the, that is... That comes down to strategy in terms of how you run your team and your coaching style as well, too, because the one thing that's tough in this game is that we only get paid when we fight. Yeah. So the powers that be could call you up on any notice and say, hey, we have to change this up. So as much as you want a game plan for one guy, you still have to be prepared for all aspects of the sport. Because, I mean, Carl, Carl was going to fight... Uh, John Phillips in Sacramento. I remember The yeah. dude couldn't get a fucking visa. So like three weeks out, we got a new opponent. So we yeah. go from going with a guy who who literally doesn't do anything except punch yes. to a guy that does everything. Yeah. And hasn't fought in the UFC yet. And there, there wasn't a ton of info on him. So it was like, okay, uh, we're changing gears real fast because we went from boxing heavy to, okay, we need to really, really get our ground game up because this kid likes to take everybody down. Yes. So you have to be prepared for whatever's coming at you. And that's one of the things with the PFL, which is tough, is that with the tournament, you you have to train for everything because you really don't know. Forget about a guy missing weight when you got to fight three fights and you don't know. It could be one of these two guys that you have to fight in this round and then it could be one of these guys in that round and whatever and you never know so you really just have to be, you have to have a solid game yeah. plan i do express my my uh expression that um i wish like the champions could come and be a champion the next season you know yeah it's kind of like everything starts over again and it's like whoever wins a million dollars you win a million dollars but you don't come back it's like you don't get a belt you're not like hey i'm the defending champ yeah it's I'm like tournament, tournament 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 yeah. k1 did it K1 had that problem. Yes. After being around for like 10 years, they ran into a situation where they had to change it. So what they did was the guys that made the top eight Mm -hmm. the prior year had super fights throughout the year, and then they did the top 16 at the end so that the final tournament to make the finals would be the new crop of eight versus last year's crop of eight. Yeah. So they did a top 16. And that top 16 led to the top eight that would have been the tournament winners. So they put all the guys that fought in the – so what was what was best about that was that they were bringing in new talent every season. Yes. And the old – so last year's top eight had to fight throughout the year just to stay sharp, and they were making money the whole time. Yeah. They kept a job going. Yeah. And then they had an easier path to winning the belt yeah. because they earned it the prior year. But then all the young, hungry guys were fighting to get a shot at them. So we ended up with the best talent pool that K1 had. And that's why we had – there was like the three or four years that they did that Mm -hmm. were the years that everybody remembers. That was the years where we had the Mark Hunt versus Ray Seppo super fight. We had Mark Hunt come out of nowhere and knock out – he knocked out Jerome LeBanner and then won the title and – Ernesto Hoost had his thing, and Bob Sapp came out of it, and then you had Alexei Ignashov and all these guys. I'm throwing this way back. Um, you got to do your K1 history to remember this shit. This is like 2000, <laughs> 2001, guys. Yeah. But there was this massive rise of talent because they 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 allowed talent to come in, and they allowed the established guys 
to be comfortable, make a living, and it wasn't that pressure. We got to fight a billion times to get back to the same spot. Like Lance Palmer, he should be waiting for this year's tournament champ to fight for the belt. Yes. In a lot of ways, or be put into the last tournament. Like he's at the top of the tier. Yes. Give him some super fights against guys he fought last year. Yeah. K1's my favorite one was K1 Revenge. Every January, so they had the K1 Grand Prix yeah. uh, last week, November first week, December. The first week in January, they did K1 Revenge. It was the finals fought again. Oh, so they let the guys fight each other again. Yeah. And, like, that's, that's a cool idea. That's what it's looking like for PFL, that, like, a bunch of the people who won last year are going to end up fighting each other next year. But I think they would get their viewership. There would be more, like, people if they had actual champions there. If yeah. there was, like, a lightweight champion, a featherweight champion. You know, they're bi- the main person that they have right now is Kayla Harrison. You know, yeah. 155, she's an Olympic champ. Um, and... You know, everybody's excited to see her fight Sarah Kaufman if she wins her next fight in the playoffs in Las Vegas, so... I don't know if she's beating Sarah, by the way. Dude, <laughs> I'm so excited for this fight. I don't want to get my opinion on it, to be honest, but... It's a tough that. one. It's literally, it's going to be international level of, of athleticism going against a true veteran in the sport, yeah. and my question mark on this fight is going to be, can Kayla deal with the well-rounded skill set? Yes, with a girl that's got levels because that's the one thing in this sport if you look closely at what happens in the tough fights the guys that win it's not the overwhelming dominating force all the time because when that runs out yeah it's the guy that can change levels tj versus uh garbrandt prime yes. example yes tj gets dropped yes. comes back to the corner Dwayne says do this do this do this garbrandt gets knocked out yes yeah and then garbrandt versus um uh, Dominic Cruz. Yes. Same shit. Yeah. Garbrandt goes against Cruz. Cruz has one gear. They figured it out. Yeah. And they beat him. So it's the guys that have the ability time, to change gears are the ones that win. Yes. So there's levels. You have to be able to have different speeds in the sport. You can't have one speed all the time because everyone figures out your speed and then you then everybody starts beating you. Right, 100%. So that's where with Kayla, I'm like, I don't know if she has enough experience yeah. to mix it up that way because if... If her takedown to positioning doesn't work, you know, can she fight off her back? Yeah. She can be able to strike with someone that can strike. You know, it say her judo just is falling flat. Yeah. What else you got? Her um not not her last fight, the fight before that, she went three rounds for the first time yep. in her career. And, you know, I interviewed her after, but I saw her crying after. She was like tearful, tearful, and I was like, she kind of dominated them through the performance. She's just like, you know, I want these girls she her quote was literally, I want these girls to never have to fight me again. That's how she has that tough mentality. But Sarah Kaufman isn't that type of girl. No, she's like That's a comic thing. book nerd. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> so I'm like, I, 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 I talked to Sarah Kaufman about it. And she was just like, "That's cool." Like that's you know, you know, she's she's like, the thing with Sarah Kaufman, I think she has what thirty something pro fights right yeah. now. And Kayla has what six, seven. Yeah. So that's a big that matters. Yes. And she fought in the UFC and Strike Force and all that stuff. Yeah, she's yeah. used to the pressure. Yes. She's used to the big show. But the one thing, go back to Kayla, yes. is uh, that's kind of telling. I mean, the expectations she has for herself are almost a, a greater hurdle than her opponent. Yes. When it doesn't go the way that you want it to go, what do you do? I mean, what, do you fucking cry afterwards? Like, seriously, like, stop crying. You fucking won. You dominated a girl yes, for three rounds. What the fuck are you crying for? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, you only have six fucking fights. Calm down. Yes. 
She dominated, man. She she literally dominated that fight. She destroyed. I remember that. Like, and I'm like, she's not putting this girl away. Yeah. But that girl is not winning. She's not doing anything. First of all, I'm like give it to the girl too. I don't remember. I don't her remember her name. I like, feel bad. Fuck, she, not tough. only she was good. Yeah, she, she yeah, was very she's good. Very good. And she's she's in the playoffs now. She won her uh, her last fight in the first round by submission. Yeah, she's Jamal. very good. Yeah. She, she's actually fighting Sarah Kaufman. Uh, the next one, so I'm excited to see how that. That's going to actually be a good fight. That is, yes. But again, I was talking to David Branch yesterday. I went to sparring at Henzo's, and Branch was there. Yes. And it, uh, we've run into each other since his last fight in Philly, which yeah. I was I was one of his coaches for that fight. Yes. And, but we never really talked about anything. And he just yesterday he was like, "Look, man," he's like, "I I, I can't blame anybody but myself. Uh, I just got in a headspace where I wasn't prepared to do what I had to do. Yes. And he had expectations for himself." He didn't have commitment. Like he expected to go out there and destroy the guy, but he was when it didn't happen. He wasn't prepared to die on the changeup. Yeah. And I said to him, I said my favorite quote is, "The samurai most prepared to die lives the longest." Yes. Because and the clarity on that statement is, if you are not afraid of an outcome, no matter what that outcome could be. You don't hesitate in action. When you free yourself of shame of losing, of uh, whatever you feel victory can bring, of even dying out there, and your your intention is just to take the proper course of action at that given time, without judgment, without expectation, you're going to be faster. You're going to be more committed. You're not going to have all those things that weight you down slow the decision-making process and that's when you give yourself the freedom of action backed up with a tremendous amount of proper work you're the most dangerous guy in the room yeah you know um like we were going back with the pfl um it's it's i love covering the event you know but i think that there are some things that they should work on with it i think they should definitely take care of their fighters more a lot better i mean i know when sarah kaufman's opponent missed weight and she got disqualified they paid her her full purse and her full like she'll win in money yeah Mm -hmm. but i mean like it's just it's very unprofessional for a company man to have every card somebody missed weight you know okay it's twofold as a company, you got to put things in place that you have better checks and balances, yes. and you should probably have reserve bouts to allow for people to step in that have to do the work to step in. Yeah. So you might want to have the prior event have alternates fight for the next event. Yeah. That's the kind of thing. Again, the K1 was so good at the tournament strategy, they always had these alternate situations yeah. because you never knew guys got hurt. Kickboxing is different than MMA. Kickboxing, I mean... A lot of a lot of broken feet and shins and weird shit and knockouts and you can't fight certain times. It's exactly. different, uh, but they were always they always had the, the a guy in reserve that earned the reserve spot, and so if somebody missed weight, the alternate was ready to go. Um, yeah, they should ha- definitely have a system in place, but more importantly, it's the responsibility of the athletes and their coaches 100%. to make sure these guys make weight. And if they don't make weight, I don't think they should ever fight again for the organization. If, if the organization brings people back without having a real medical reason why that failure occurred, these guys shouldn't be getting chances. And uh, it's yeah. a, weight is a big problem in general on the regional circuit. Guys just don't give a shit. There are guys that literally are like, well, I'm only going to give up X amount of dollars, so fuck it, I'll come in heavy. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Regman fought an LFA – 
that fight was supposed to be at 175. Yeah. The fight ended up happening at 185 because his opponent like at, was at, at 190 saying, I don't think I can go any deeper. Yeah. And we were like, wait a minute. We want a fight here. Yeah. And Steven was like, I can fight him. I don't care. And I was yeah. like, all right, let's see what we can do. And they agreed on 85, and the guy made, the guy struggled to make 85. I'm like, Jeez. you are never even going to come close to 75. What yeah. the fuck you flying from Albuquerque for, you jerk off? Yeah. But, I, I just wish that, like, they could... At least if you're going to miss weight or if you don't think you're going to make weight, you say something. Just so yeah. they can even try and come up with a compromise. If you say, bro, to be honest with you, man, it's my fault. It's unprofessional, but I'm going to miss weight by five pounds. At least tell the athlete or even if you speak to their coaching team so maybe they can come up with a compromise yeah. and they can even make that fucking fight happen. I know the stress of it. We've had weight cut issues at times. I mean, Steven, as much as that guy didn't miss weight, Steven missed weight by 12 pounds when we were in Maryland yeah. for uh, a fight. And the other guy wanted to fight him so bad they didn't care. They just bumped it up a weight class. But we told them like eight hours before weigh-ins, like, yo, there's no way we're going to make this. And everybody was local. Everybody drove in. Nobody flew in. It wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But that fight could have been scrapped based on that, which is bullshit too. Um, you know, that was a bad one. And as a coach, I could, I could say, like, we were just hoping that it would work out and it just didn't work out. And you just don't want to be in that position. And you just, a lot of times you're like, no, we'll be okay. And then it's not okay. And you're like, fuck, yeah. I should have looked at this differently. Uh, but again, regional shows they don't have the controls in place and they don't have the budgets to really track it like ufc these guys know like they yes. know what's up yeah. like when they when you show up at the hotel they weigh you yeah and they say whoa we got a problem or not yeah. they know pretty much right on i kind of like what one championship does too with like um how they can track like the water control and everything yeah. so they don't really do weight cutting i know eddie alvarez just moved up that's why he was at 170 yeah. but do you think that like you fight better, maybe even cutting all that weight, because as you see, his last fight, he got knocked out. But, um, I mean... Yeah, um... As well as Sage Northcott. I think Northcott's fight was at 185, right? I think that the culture of weight cutting is a little extreme, Yes. but I think the reality of the minute you get paid based upon winning or losing, it's very difficult to control... The extremes in which people are going to go because okay fine so one has these controls in place and guys go up yes they're still manipulating the system as best they can they're still going okay well my water has to be this so i'm going to do this they're still looking for an edge yes. everyone's always looking for an edge whether mm -hmm. it's drugs or it's weight cutting or whatever yeah. so you saw the test for drugs they have a list of drugs they test for yeah. there's laboratories everywhere figuring out how to make drugs that you saw can't detect we know this there's too many athletes can pop for weird things for this not to be happening it yeah. is what it is um, for me i think all that stuff it's all just mental gymnastics the weight the fucking drugs all this stuff it's just it's just a mental bullshit it's it's a a weakness within that individual yeah it's that guy saying well if i don't i can't no you can you can you just have to commit to that course yeah i mean carl barely takes any supplements because he's afraid of getting popped yeah. He's a completely natural athlete. If you look at his body, you wouldn't think so. He literally is... He's so fucking... And good. Corey. Look at, but look at Corey. Yes. Corey is one of the hardest working dudes I know. Yeah. Takes supplements, but not an overwhelming force of supplements. Yeah. You know, and he's completely natural. Um, and I think those two individuals are mentally stronger and physically better for it. Yeah. Those two... 
two together are just like amazing. You know, they're like they're like a good group together. Like yeah. pitching a pair. You know, they get on my nerves sometimes and they joke around. Oh, they, they, me, but I love like, those guys. Yeah. If they turn on you verbally, you're fucked. Yeah. If you get stuck in the buzzsaw, oh my god, yeah. Carl's the worst. I I'm at this point. I I, I laugh though. Um, so. I was, we were out in California, and one of the people in our group, yeah. they were like, how, how do you think he's doing? I said, we're going to know in about two hours, because yeah. he's going to start making, if he starts making fun of me, if he starts calling me old and fat, within like <laughs> the next hour and a half to two hours, we're good. And then sure enough, we sit down, and he's old and fat and me to death. And I was like, I told you, here it comes. Yeah. You know, the verbal abuse is just part of the camaraderie of how it rolls. I love those guys, so. yeah. I feel like the more vicious we are, the more we care about yeah, each other. I always just, go back at him. Uh, doggy dog. Yeah, I always go back at him. Me and Corey, we were trying to see. I did like a poll on Instagram. It's pretty bad, but we were trying to see who was darker. <laughs> me and me and Corey. I was You're like, darker. I know. You're but darker. It's okay. It's Come okay. He's, he's 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 not light. So <laughs> <laughs> the poll was like eighty percent him, and it was like twenty percent. Now you're darker. I'm, I'm on your side. I don't give a shit what anyone said. You're darker. Yeah. But it's all right. He, uh, he got that one, but we got a lot more posts. Uh, I know he wants me to cut my hair. Him and Carl, they talk about my hair a lot. Corey tells me I'm racist. I'm like, dude, my whole team's fucking black. I'm not racist. Yeah. God damn it. No, I love those guys. Man. I'm not racist. I hate everybody. No, I hear you, bro. I I'm just a cranky guys, fuck. That's my, that's my thing. Yeah. But, yeah. I, uh... I'm looking forward to what's going to happen with Corey. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to throw at him next. I'm really hoping the Jones fight comes together because when I look at the landscape, what's going on, I yes. think there's fights in terms of popularity, but in terms of actually somebody in the top ten that has fought the fights that deserves the shot, I think Corey's literally the only guy. There's no other. There's no other person. Even if you look at the rankings, Dominic Reyes is fighting Chris Weidman now. That's the fight that Corey wanted before. You got Anthony Smith who's out right now. But so, Smith doesn't. Even Smith didn't deserve it. Yeah. Smith didn't deserve it. He was the flavor of the moment. Yeah. It's just like, I feel like... It's the hype. They're giving yeah. him the hype machine. Yeah, 100%. But yeah. I also think the ESPN deal fucked it up. Yeah. Because the buys are so low on the pay-per-views. Yeah. And these guys make the majority of their money on uh, pay-per-view money. So what you read that Jones makes, yeah. that's not what he makes. Yeah. He makes a percentage of the pay-per-view buys. But when you go from a million buys to 100,000 buys, yeah. that's fucking up his paycheck. And that's why I think he's fighting more yeah. against, I'm not going to say lesser, yeah. but I think they're throwing guys at him that they're trying to drive the pay-per-view up, but yeah. also allow him to get more work in so he can make more money. Yeah. I think that's how they did it. I know those two were going back at it uh, on Twitter as well, too. But they I have know, been. I know Jones is, um, like, remember tweeting, I'm saying, like, we can fight in December, but then Jones saying that he wants to fight in November. He wants to fight in the Garden. Yeah. So I'm like, I know. That would be amazing. That'd be, like, that's, I, like I said, I was like, Corey trains, what, an hour from the Garden? Jones is from I want, New York? I want Carl back on the Garden. That was the best card. Yes. I love that. That yeah. whole New York flow for us is amazing. Staying in the city, being an hour from home. Yeah. Staying in the city, training at Henzo's. Like, that was the thing. Like, we train at Henzo's every week, and then to be able on fight week, to go in there every day and get our, get our, workouts in do our our shake out the day of exactly it's like a very comfortable experience for us and that's why i think carl when he fought marshmallow was so so on point was because fight. it was just such a comfortable flow for us yes and even brooklyn i mean we took that fight on seven days but we went to manhattan yeah. we were at henzo's we did our thing there went over to brooklyn you know it was it was a good 
it's just a, it's an easy flow, man. It's a hometown thing. Man, that fucking so, car, that was amazing. Those were yeah. elbows from hell, though, man. Elbows. Holy elbows. shit. I was looking at that, and I was like, yeah, you'll never elbow me. Clover afterwards said that he went in and out of consciousness a couple times. Yeah. And um, just the, the recap on that one is Carl lost feeling in his arm from the elbows. He uh, crushed the bursa, the bursa sac in his elbow and damaged... He bruised his tricep tendon to the point his fingers wouldn't work. So when he got on top of Glover, he went to throw an elbow, and he had, like, shooting pain go up into his neck, and he was like, what the fuck? And then Glover bumped, and when he put his hand down to post, his arm completely collapsed. And that's why Glover was given the ability to recover. And then if you watch the fight, Carl went to do an underhook, which was the proper thing to do, but his arm wouldn't work. So he reached around, and he grabbed his own wrist, yeah. to try and hold Glover in, and you'll see he couldn't use his right hand at all, and then he just got stuck in a position where he couldn't move the way he wanted to, and when Glover went for the head and arm, Carl got really stuck, and he had to roll the wrong way because he couldn't roll the right way because his arm wasn't working. Yeah. That's, like, that's that's the way it goes. But again, goddamn damn Marigliata. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like Sometimes he lets guys murder each other, and then sometimes he stops it too early. There's no in-between with him. Yeah. Like, God, we literally... That, I thought that... That um, when Glover dropped, they should have stopped. That's what I thought. I was like, all right. I was like, oh, it's fucking over, man. He fucking did it in the first round. Yep. It's amazing. With elbows again. Again. Because he he totally went limp, man. Totally. It was like, I was like, all right, it's over. It's over. Yep. And then when he let it keep going, I was like, whoa, 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 what? No. That was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I have this weird thing with Mergliata. Hey, if it was Mario Yamasaki. No, but I legitimately. As long as Dan's been a ref, yes, I've had a very weird history of fights with him. Um, we 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 lose weird fights when he's the ref. I don't know what the fuck it is. I can't I can't figure it out. We had um, it just I just got a weird I got a weird history with him. Okay. Kickboxing and MMA. Yeah, I, I, it's not a malicious thing on his part. No, of course. I just have this weird like. Dan Murray out of block. So every time he's the ref, I'm like, oh, what weird fucking thing's gonna happen now? Yeah. Would you um? Just like even as Carl's coach, would you would you want to see him fight at two hundred five again, like in the UFC? We did that as a favor. Yeah. They didn't want to lose the fight, and yeah. they literally had nobody else. Yeah. And we said okay. I mean, we had no desire to fight at two hundred five. Yeah. I'm never. I'm not. I never say never. Yes. Because you never know what argument needs to be squashed. What opportunity could present itself? I mean, if they call Carl up and were like, "Hey, man, everybody fell off. You want to fight John Jones?" Of course, we're gonna fight John Jones. We'll exactly. fight him fucking this afternoon if you want us <laughs> to. Like, we're good. Exactly. Like, there are opportunities you have to take. I mean, he fought Jerome LeBanner with 127 fucking fights on six, seven days' notice yeah. in France. Like, we don't care. Like, there are certain times opportunity knocks. Yes. You just say yes, and yeah. you go do the best you can. Yeah. And so. don't worry about the record. Like you wanna, you know, you wanna, you wanna live forever. You have to do shit people are never gonna forget. Yes. And the only way to do that is to do that. I, why do people love cowboy? Everybody loves cowboy because he never he says no. No, that guy is fucking insane. That he's. Never says no. Did you hear about his next fight? Him yeah. Justin Gaethje. That's gonna be a crazy fight. Ooh, That's gonna be a crazy fight. Fucking fireworks, man. My 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 uh, biggest thing with cowboy is he has a. Uh, Overhand right issue, yes. and that's why I think Gaethje is a very dangerous opponent for him. Yeah. And they know each other; they know each other well. Yeah. Trevor and Trevor Whitman, who's Gaethje's coach, and Cowboy go back up. They they're they came up on the same coach. fucking circuit of things. I mean, yeah. uh, weird historical fact: Trevor Whitman is from Manasquan, New Jersey. 
Really? Yep. He left in his teen years. Oh, shit. Yeah, but he grew up in, uh, he was born and raised partially in Manasquan. Wow. Yeah. I never know this from Jersey. Yeah. Chuck Liddell was born in Jersey. He was born in Linden. Really? Yep. The Iceman. Yeah. Damn. I don't think he grew, he, I don't think he spent, I think literally they moved out of here when he was like one or two, but yeah. he was born here too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see Tito Ortiz is fighting in that combat, whatever. Yeah, I saw that, man. I mean, he's fighting Alberto and Del Rio, which yeah. kind of just like, yeah. Oh, I'm yawning. That's okay. Yeah. No, no. The one I hope that UFC never uses again is that fucking, what's his name from Chicago? What's the pro wrestler guy? Mike Jackson? No, the pro wrestler. Oh, I see him punk. Yeah, I hope they never, <laughs> I hope they never use him for yeah. anything ever again. I don't even like him commentating at Cage Fury. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think he's an idiot when yeah, it comes I, to the sport. He might be a nice guy. He might try really hard, but no. I'm sorry. I'm not, yeah, I don't think. I definitely don't think he should uh, get another fight. I think if he wanted to fight, maybe like an amateur. He should do people. He should go to cage, sure. Yeah, yeah. He should do something like that for sure. Um, you know, I think he brought like some like a lot of good views to the UFC when he fought in Chicago, but like just the Mike Jackson fight, it was horrible. I ran into Mickey Gall yesterday at PFL, and I was talking to him about the first CM Punk fight. And that was just insane. Mickey Gall is a... I feel bad for him to a degree because the CM Punk fight put a lot of exposure on him. Yes. And I think he's a he's a legit prospect that can be developed. And I think that it put him into deep water really fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, he destroyed CM Punk, but he should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a legitimate fighter. Yeah. And... Um, I just hope they pull it back a little bit and develop him. Let him, let him, let him get some, let him get some fights that are better for him. Yeah, they definitely hyped him up a lot too. I think since he was calling everybody out like after his fights, remember he called like Super Sage. And he hangs out with uh, well Sage, I would, I'd call out too. Yeah. But he hangs around with uh, Joe Schilling and that whole crew. So yeah. of course he's gonna be brash. <laughs> you know, yeah, Joe Schilling is like the the biggest shit talker there is. Yeah, that Diego Sanchez fight, man, that was. Just... Wow. Yeah. I was, I was like, damn, Mickey. Like, I wasn't expecting all that, man. I know you called him out, but dude, he, he just, like, I was like, man, I don't know. I feel like my cardio could have been a little bit better than that, man. Yeah, Diego is uh, another one where he just refuses to go away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you don't, you don't fuck with the veterans, man. 100% no, yeah. Because you don't, they may shit the bed, but they also will pull something out of their ass from time to time that makes you go, <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> they are that good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was at Extreme Couture a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I was training Kurt Pellegrino. It's not even a couple of years. It's a lot of years now. I think we're <laughs> like six, seven years now yes. that he retired. But we were at Extreme Couture, and I remember Vitor Belfort walked in. This is a while ago, so this was fully big, nasty, semi-green Vitor. And I remember he came in, and he started doing work. And then Charles Sonnen came in and was doing work. And then... Um, Matt Mitrione came in and was doing work, and I'm watching these guys do work. And I and it was funny, though, because I was like, God, there really are levels to this. Yes. Because the way – the contact that they were making, the flow that they had, the way that they were stringing things together, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. The top five in this business is nasty. And it's just – um, a lot, of, a lot of these guys that are coming in now at the UFC in the entry level. I mean, even Carl and Corey are learning on the job. Um, Corey still has massive upside. Yeah. You watch Corey do work, and it's like, okay, this is—he's definitely on another level. Yeah. But he's 
still so new that he still has so much upside. Can you believe that, like, when he started MMA, like, he made it to the UFC with, like, yes, less than, like, two years of experience even training? Well, that's where the Ultimate Fighter just worked out amazing for yeah, him. I did. mean, he just had the the perfect path, and yeah. he just he just everything lined up. It wasn't manufactured for him. They never expected him to do well. He just forced his way into yeah. doing well. And I think his skill set and his mindset causes puts him in a position where he can upset a lot of guys. He he went through that phase where, you know, he had a hole in his stance and he couldn't block anything on the right side of his head, yeah. but. He, he, he's gotten beyond that so I mean the one the one that was telling when he fought uh, Latifi yes Latifi yep. hit him with a with a nasty overhand, overhand and Corey took it like dead on the chin and it's it didn't phase neck. him and I said well it's not just the iron neck he changed his stance when yes. he was too narrow he would get hit and his head would snap when he squared up a little bit more got his just he changed his body mechanics so that when he got hit his brain didn't take the shot as bad, yeah. and he's better moving with the punches now. And that was that one. I was like, oh, he's top five now. Because yeah. up until that punch, I was always like, man, Corey's great, but if he gets caught, I get nervous. And then he got caught, and it didn't bother him. I'm like, oh, we're good. He's at yeah. another level. Okay, yeah. all right, he can do this now. Like I'm not afraid of anybody cracking him now. Like I, I, I feel like he can walk through most of it because. He's putting it together. So. Yeah, I don't like how like this whole ranking system is too. I keep ranking making, system doesn't mean anything. I keep playing my guy. He's not, I think he's the number eighth rank right now, which is. And he's beat. So he beat Latifi. He beat Blockowitz. He beat um, Glover. I think yeah. Glover's higher than him. Might not be anymore though. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's stupid. He should be top five. A hundred percent. Yeah. And um, like you were saying, like I think he's just. I think just mentality too now. He's fighting for something more as well. You know, he just had his yeah. kid now. So I remember, like, Mark was saying um, during the, uh, who was his last fight? Uh, Latifi, right? was his last fight? Yeah, I think yeah Latifi. Latifi. Yeah, I remember in that third round Latifi, because it was all going up to that third round, mm-hmm. that Mark was saying, you know, you're doing this for CJ now, his kid. And I think that just sparked something in his head, man. And he just kept going forward, yep. man. He was gassing Latifi out. He was just going forward, man. And he, uh... I think it's just something that struck him in his head, man. Now mentally, that he's fighting for something a lot more too. He's got to put food on the table for his kid, you know. But um, here's the thing: I uh, we've been going for a bit. Yeah. I got to actually go pick up my kid shortly. So, yeah. <laughs> but I wanna I wanna touch on one thing because it kind of what you just said kind of wraps up a lot of the things we talked about, from mental health to motivation to a lot of it. But if you're not taking action for something that you deeply believe in you're always going to be lacking yeah so when you're talking about that anxiety and depression and 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 the struggles yeah if you don't have something worth fighting for it's going to be very hard for you to pull yourself out of that i don't know if it could be a person a thing you want to get something you want to achieve um, an understanding or a commitment. I'm not a religious guy, but I know a lot of guys that are, and that becomes like their thing. Like they fight to like honor the commitment of that. Yeah. Um, some people just want to be the best because they want to be the best, but whatever. But if you're not, if you don't have this, uh, a very deep, thorough connection with something greater than yourself. Yes. It's going to be very hard to fight the hard fight and to give yourself the opportunity to push past the struggle you know like it it, 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 that's the thing and that's why 
throw it back on the Wimta Warrior side of it. Wimta Warrior, in a lot of ways, breaks you down, and because, and not when I say break you down, we don't come in and beat the fuck out of you. No. We come in and we make you work so much that you have to question yourself and why are you doing this? And if you answer it and you figure that out, that becomes the thing that now you do everything for. Yeah. And that's when the momentum comes in. That's what, as a fighter, again, Phil Caracapa going to contender. Steven Regman went to contender. Yeah. Regman struggled. He struggled with what the fuck he was fighting for. They kept him back in there. He, but he had the biggest opportunity of his life. Exactly. And he struggled with it. Like, he was not fighting his opponent. He was fighting his commitment to the opportunity for whatever reason. Yeah. And there was no overwhelming, I have to do this for, and it, and it allowed him to not pull the trigger. Yeah. Uh, that happens to everybody. And then you have Carl, who you think, oh, shit, he might be stuck in a choke again, who then exploded out and then started raining punches because he connected with something that he 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 refuses to lose for a specific reason. Corey has a drive to do what he does and never quit for a reason. Donald Cerrone even said, now I have a son, I'm fighting for a different reason. Exactly. Rose Namajunez, she has very specific issues that she addresses as a fighter. Um, I don't even know why I just drew her out. I saw something about this. It was just like all yeah. kind of came here. But there's everybody has this thing. And the ones that are, 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 are fighting for something more than just winning and losing are the ones that have the grit and the determination and the ability to come in early and stay late and put in the work and address the issues and figure out what their demons are and all the shit that needs to be done to be the best. 100%. So if you want to be your best at whatever the fuck it is, you got to figure out you. And you got to know why. Yes. You got to know your why. And when you know your why, then what you need to do makes itself really clear. And that's that's the beauty of this fucking crazy business I've been in for a long time now. Is that when when what I just said came to be for real, yeah. and not just something I read somewhere, it became the thing that I actually fucking believed and operate on on a daily basis. Life changed so much and I, and for me i got married two kids yeah fighters you know i've always been here but my commitment and connection with the guys right now is different than it's ever been because i understand a commitment to life and caring for people in ways that were eluding me because i just didn't just didn't have people around me that were pulling out the right. best in me enough and now i do and that's it i mean you just lost a friend to cancer yeah you know if if Death doesn't make you appreciate life. You're never gonna fucking get it. Honestly, yeah, it gives you a whole pers- a whole different perspective on anything. I like I, I was thinking uh, after Andrew died that you know just gotta get my ass back in there, get back to training, man. Like that may not make sense to a lot of people. Yeah. But it makes sense to you. It does yeah. And that's the only person that needs to matter because you're the only fucking person that you need to deal with every day. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you you if you get that for you, yeah. you get it. And everything else you do would be better for it. Exactly. So, Curtis, thank you for coming through, yeah, man. Thank you guys this for having me, man. Fun conversation. Oh yeah. Um, do you have any shout outs you want to do? Promote your podcast. Anything you want to uh, do? Throw it out. Yeah. Hey, I just want to. My podcast is the Big Curtis Show. It's available on iTunes, uh, Fiber, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, you guys can check out my Instagram too at Curtis Will underscore. Um, I'll be having like. Uh, I'll be talking a lot more about Andrew and his cancer. Uh, I know there's a GoFundMe just to help out his parents, so that'll be at the link in my bio for Andrew. Um, he had brain cancer six years. He died uh, last week, so uh, check that out as well. Just help his family. And, uh, hey, we appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me, bro.
No problem. I've always got a, my shout-out list to do. Uh, first off, foremost, i got to throw it out to Thrive. They are Thrive uh, uh, Recovery in Spring Lake. They're a huge supporter of the gym. They keep not just my athletes but all my members together, including myself. Uh, they have chiropractic, acupuncture, physical therapist, uh, and I, I will say I was a skeptic about acupuncture until I went there. Um, AJ does amazing things that, you know, this is not in the back of a health food store. This guy is using scientific practices. This is a science-based acupuncture, and it's really cool. So Thrive, amazing. Even, uh, if you mentioned that. They have whole body cryotherapy, Yes, they too. have the whole bio cryotherapy. That is true. And it's the only one of its kind yes. in, in the area. Uh, if you mentioned Killer B, they have uh, special offers available for you. Fit Food, I cannot say enough about Fit Food. Every one of my athletes that is on Fit Food is making weight easier, carrying a better composition of body mass, energy's better, everything's better. When I'm on Fit Food, um, I can tell you I'm operating at a much higher level. Super clean eating, super tasty food. You know, being healthy doesn't have to be uh, shitty tasting. They prove that every time. Uh, CB Daily, if you're into CBD, cbdailyllc.com. Uh, you can use Killer B as a promo code. You can get a discount on your first order. They don't just have general CBD like the majority of people out there do. They have very specific terpenes and different formulations that directly address issues like sleep, pain, anxiety, uh, inflammation. They have a particular thing, all you athletes, it's called X-Oil, uh, soreness, uh, muscle tears, strains. This stuff allows your body to heal a lot faster. Angela Hill, after her last fight, used it on a huge hematoma on her shin, and she said her shin healed probably about three to four days faster than any other time she had the same kind of injury. So check them out, cbdailyllc.com. Um, who else am I missing out here? Um, I think that's it for right now, but check us out. Uh, the Hivecast, we're available on iTunes, all the different places that you can find podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere. You could also go to the Hive, Hivecast. Uh, dot com. You can listen through that or download it direct. And then again, if you're interested in training, KillerBCSA.com, Killer B Combat Sports Academy, Oakhurst, New Jersey. That's the headquarters. That's where we do what we do. So thank you for listening. This is The Hive. This is Brian with Big Curtis. Yeah, thank you. Is. We are out.